Hello, my name is Ryan Gottfordson, and I'm a leadership professor at Cal State Fullerton, and I'm also the Wall Street Journal bestselling author of the book, Success Mindsets, Your Keys to Unlocking Greater Success in Your Life, Work, and Leadership. And you're listening to From the Heart, brought to you by Orange Kiwi. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate you joining me today. It's uh, been a long time coming. Uh, Ryan and I both, as you just heard him introduce, both work for Cal State University Fullerton at the Business School. Uh, he's been teaching leadership and org behavior there for a few years now. He has recently come out with this book that he just alluded to, uh, Success Mindset. We're going to talk a lot about that today. A lot of the reasons why leaders and individuals in general, I believe, and athletes and others succeed or fail, I've heard is really what happens between the ears. And so I'm hoping that we can really dive into a conversation today about the difference between a bad leader and a good leader, successful and not so successful. You'll notice if you're watching today on YouTube, if you're listening, you'll hear him momentarily, but if you're watching and you'll look, you'll see my good friend, Charles Antis. Charles is a friend of Ryan. He is their colleagues, their friends, their associates. Um, Charles and, and Ryan have a history together and that'll come up today as well. Charles has also been a guest a few times on From the Heart individually, as well as um, with uh, a couple of his friends that we'll talk about too. So first of all, Ryan, welcome. Thank you for being on From the Heart. I'm excited to really dive into a conversation with you about what makes a person and a leader successful. So first and foremost, um, let me just start with asking you a question that I don't talk about a whole lot. We don't talk about bad leadership much. Yep. And this is a question for you and Charles, obviously, as well. When either of you really thinks of what makes a leader a bad leader, what, what's some of the first things that come up for you? Well, the first thing that comes up for me, and, and this is one where I love this question, but I also love speaking to you and also to Charles uh, about this, because I think each of us are very passionate about helping others to become more positive influences within the sphere in which they're operating within. And when I work with business leaders, the thing that's really interesting to me is I'll ask business leaders, think of a room with 100 leaders, and I'll ask them, are you trying the best that you can? Everybody raises their hand. Sure. Everybody's trying the best that they can. But we also know statistics such as 75% of employees say that their manager is the worst and most stressful part of their job. So, so what is going on oftentimes and way more frequently than we would like is that leader, the leader's current best is actually having collateral damage on those around them. And, and this is just way too common of a phenomenon. And what is going on at a very foundational level is that leaders have great intentions, but low awareness. And it's that low awareness, what is between the ears, that inhibits them from becoming more of that positive influence that they want to become. So that mindset, as you're talking about, really, it's, it's, it's framing it in that mindset first and foremost of, you know, obviously, you know, I play a lot of golf and obviously in golf visualization and athletics and so forth is very important. And I was taught as a teenager by my instructor to visualize the shot before I hit the shot. Now, I'm not perfect at it or I wouldn't be doing podcasts. I'd be playing professional golf. But, um, you know, when I do visualize my shot, I tend to do better. When I visualize a podcast, it tends to go a little bit better. When I visualize any conversation, it just kind of puts me in that mindset. Charles, let me defer to you for a moment now. Welcome, first of all, bud. It's great to see you again. It's always a pleasure to see you. I'd rather see you in person, but if I have to see you on my laptop, I'll take it. 
talk to me about, in your case, I, I've known you for a few years now, and I know that you've shared openly at the podium on other podcasts and so forth, some bad leadership examples that you've seen. Um, whether you want to personalize it yourself or just talk about definition, open form here. When you think of what makes a leader unsuccessful before we spend the majority of our time on success, what comes to mind for you? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on again, Ed. It's a pleasure to be with you and Ryan because we are friends. We're aligned. We have slightly different languages, sure, but we're aligned. And, and I think that I want to pull Ryan along with me whenever I speak from now on because Ryan and I have this way that we align. He technically says what I'm feeling, and then I can tell the story of what he's technically saying. But I say it like this, and I, I had a clear picture that came to mind that really is my bad leadership style, the worst of me, but we all have it. And it comes down to this one thing, and I'm gonna give the advice. I normally like to say things positively in an inclusive way, but we're asking what makes a bad leader this. And, and this is, I'm gonna say it negatively, don't want anything too much. There's the advice. Don't want anything too much. And if you can let go, because, you know, I know that you think the entrepreneurs, the founders, especially, you think you got to grab it. Well, well who's going to fix it? Oh, sales are off. I can help sales. But the moment you walk in to fix the sales, you stomp all over your team, the ones that do the work. And so Ryan so eloquently said, what happens when you want things too much? You become a bad boss. You can't listen. You, because you know you're right, you're doing everything. All of your experience tells you you do it this way, but there's something magic that happens when you find a way to put a light on it, but not acting like it's yours. And there's, and leaders tend to grab everything for themselves that's good and blame everything that's not good without realizing they're doing it. In fact, I'll give you a pass, leaders. I'll say, it's not cognitive that you're doing that. I see many times somebody will throw somebody else under the bus. And honestly, I don't think they purposely did that. They are reptilian brains surviving to get through the landscape of work. And I think that when you take the personal out of it, there's a lot of opportunity. And that's why whenever I talk with Ryan, I just feel like I'm gonna go down into a wormhole that's gonna solve the mystery of HR and I'm gonna have 100% happy employees for life. And you know what, I don't have that yet, but I have it better than I ever have it. And one of the reasons is Ryan Godfordson is a consultant at Anthos Roofing. So let me take his comment, Ryan, and ask you a question and frame it a little bit. We all are leaders. Each of us has led lots of people. We've led a few people at different times in our lives. You know, I've had as many as 150 employees and as few as one. And um, it's very easy for me to fall into the trap of wanting something too much. I want success for my organization. I want progress for my staff. I want to hit the numbers. I want to please my boss. I want to this, that, the other. What's your impression of that comment? Don't want anything too much. And how do you now take someone who does want something too much, if you agree with Charles's assessment there, and I think you do, how do you start to shift them into that success mindset that can evolve them into a better leader? Yeah, I think we've got to explore what's underneath those wants. And there's two words that popped into my mind as Charles was talking. One was fear and the other was insecurity. 
And that's usually what's at the root. And to kind of make this come to life for you, let me give you four different desires. And you tell me whether or not society suggests that these are good desires for leaders to have, okay? Uh, and, and even for individuals to have. The desire to look good, the desire to be right, the desire to get ahead, and the desire to, re, uh, sorry, avoid problems. So desire to look good, desire to be right, desire to avoid problems, and the desire to get ahead. Would you say that society says these are good or bad desires? I think you just nailed what a lot of people spend their time consciously or subconsciously thinking about all day. And first, I thing, you, first thing you do in the right. mirror is you look in the first in the morning, you look in the mirror. I want to look good. You know, how do I feel when I get out of bed? My feet hit the floor. Am I feeling okay? You know, we so, don't yeah. realize, we don't realize how much we need. That's better. It's better words. I like that even better. Yeah. We need to be right. It feels like if we're wrong, we're out. It's so counterintuitive to not have to be right. I relish today when I can get there and not, being right because if I'm right I'm still holding it if they're right they're holding it now we have structure well and the opposite yeah. of right is wrong so if we're not right we assume we're wrong and no one wants to be wrong you remember the old happy days episode where Fonzie couldn't say wrong you know say <laughs> I'm wrong he's like I'm yeah so so let's dive into that Ryan you took us there so keep us there yes I mean it's really justifiable to be there because to your points who wants to look bad, be wrong, have problems, and get passed up? Well, nobody. So it's really justifiable to have these desires and these wants. But where is the focus when we have these desires? It's on us. Me, right. right? It's very and if selfish. we're focused on ourselves as a leader and looking good, being right, avoiding problems, and getting ahead, we're making decisions that benefit us and generally have collateral damage for those around us. And I think oftentimes we're there and have these desires. And I know that I've been there personally, partly because one, they're justifiable, but two, we oftentimes just don't recognize what are better desires to have. And so let me introduce some better desires. Great. So instead of having a desire to be right, we should have a desire to learn and grow. And the thing that's really tricky about this is that if we want to learn and grow, at times we're going to have to look bad. So if we wanna, the negative desire is desire to, to look good. Uh, the positive desire is the desire to learn and grow. And if we, again, if we want to learn and grow, at times we're gonna have to look bad. Instead of having a desire to be right, we need to have a desire to find truth and think optimally, which means at times we're gonna have to admit that we've been wrong which again, isn't easy to do. Instead of having a desire to avoid problems, we need to have a desire to reach goals, which means we're probably going to have to wade through problems. So we're gonna to have to be okay with that. And instead of having a desire to get ahead, we need to have a desire to lift others, which means at times we're gonna to have to put ourselves in the back burner. So, so to be a really effective leader, we've got to, in the short term, be okay with looking bad, being wrong, having problems, and putting ourselves on the back burner. And it's just not easy to do. And so, but when we develop these language and this framework, it allows us to be really intentional about learning and growing, uh, finding truth and thinking optimally, reaching goals and lifting others. Wait, 
this I just had a parallel that's so awesome. Me too. That I think you'll appreciate. <laughs> I'm a storyteller. I know a lot about storytelling. Let's back up and replay later the last three minutes of everything you said, Brian, and everything you said is exactly true for storytelling. That when you, we can't help it but talk about ourselves and people can't help it but vomit. <laughs> but when we learn to tell stories, we learn to tell about others and the impact they have and watch them grow. And we learn that it's all about others. And then we learn to not self-deprecate necessarily, but to look at a story as, oh my God, if I go in like I tell it, I'm a tape recorder, it actually gets boring. But if I go in as a student of the story, knowing that the audience today and the way that Ed asked the question might let me see it slightly better and ever and grow, Everything that you just said is the secret to telling stories. So if you can master this, this self-actualization, then you can also tell your story. And that means that you'll be heard inside your company and you'll be heard outside your company and they'll have functionality inside your company. So it's just an amazing parallel because tomorrow I go into mystic moments with my storytelling coach with a bunch of storytellers from around the world and I, and we dissect what's going on and you nailed it. And I just think that's a beautiful parallel because not only will you be heard, but you'll be heard. And I'll share too where you took me, Ryan. So I appreciate that, Charles. That's awesome. Charles is a master storyteller as we all know. Anybody who's listened to the podcast before or just met the guy knows what a storyteller he is. And I don't mean stories as in tall tale, but he, he's, just, he's great at painting the picture of helping you understand. As you were talking, Ryan, three words came to mind for me that for me personally, Ed Hart's definition and somewhat my definition, somewhat book smart definition, and probably a combination of a lot of different people, including my mentor, one of my mentors, Ken Blanchard. Um, who, you know, one minute manager, servant leadership and so forth. I talk with Dude. him regularly and, and have been blessed to get to know him well. Three words that came to mind for me as you were talking were service, and I tie that into servant leadership, humility, and vulnerability. And I don't think we do those things very well. I think the leader thinks I have to be the strong one. The leader thinks I can't make mistakes because my people might see me screw up. And if they see me screw up, it takes me down a notch and they won't respect me or I can't serve my people because it might boost them up. And what if they take my job, the insecurity that you went to in your conversation? So thank you for that. Thank you. I, I love hearing Charles talk about how you, you took him into storytelling and how you took me into what are some other ways I would frame that, that that really pierces my heart. So when I talk about servant leadership, humility, vulnerability, let's, you know, since it's my show, I get to use my words for just a moment how would you tie those back into the storytelling aspect that Charles alluded to? And also the point you're making about, you know, why it's hard as leaders to, to really what the egotistical leader says takes me down a notch doesn't really, but why do you think we see it that way? So what came to mind is the, the three words that you used were service, vulnerability, and humility, right? And when we have those in an organization, we have what Google found in their research is the number one factor that leads to top performing teams. And that is psychological safety. The belief that one can speak up and take risks without fear of negative repercussion. And, and what, what Google has found is that if we want our teams and our people to operate at their highest levels, they've got to feel safe. And the only way they're going to feel safe is if we have those three elements, if there's service, humility, and vulnerability. 
So how do you, I, I, instead of looking at my notes, I think I'm going to flip the sheets over and take notes and then ask you <laughs> questions from the notes I take. Nothing I can ask is going to take us where we want to go here. It's, it's responding to you and, and to Charles. What do you tell, and, and you're, you're talking to Ed Hart now because I took your assessment, by the way, and we'll get into that success mindset assessment here in a little bit. I took it this morning because I wanted to have it fresh in my mind and I'd done it before. Um, I'm a pretty thin-skinned person. I don't take criticism very well. All I got to do is ask my wife or people around me or former bosses or even former employees or current that I don't take feedback and criticism very well. And a lot of people use the term thin-skinned for that. What advice would you give? Just talk to me for a minute. How, how can I work through that? Because I know a lot of people listening today feel the same way. We don't take feedback and criticism very well. So I, and I, I think that oftentimes, and I think part of maybe what you're feeling, even as you say that, is we have a tendency to maybe easily get critical of people who are, and we put this label on them, of being thin-skinned. And one of the things that, that we need to recognize that has allowed me to be much more empathetic of people is that when we have these more negative desires that we talked about, and really those are fueled by more negative mindsets, is, is that our, our mindsets, we often describe them as the mental lenses that we wear that shape how we view the world. But in reality, what they are is their neural connections that span across the three major brain regions, our reptilian brain, our mammalian brain, and our human brain. So Charles kind of brought up some of this language. And we've got millions of neural connections in our brain. We've only got, you know, a very small percentage that actually connect all three of these major brain regions. And when we have the negative mindsets, what is actually going on in our brain is what psychiatrists call um, disintegrated, that these neural connections are disintegrated to the point where these three major brain regions aren't working effect as effectively together as they could that if we're more integrated, that these three different regions are gonna work more effectively. And so what, so really what we're getting at is what leads somebody to have more negative mindsets and take on some of these more negative desires, or maybe in your instance, to be specific, is to be a little bit thin skinned. And, and everything that I've been learning has pointed me to trauma. And trauma could be big T trauma and it could be little t trauma. And more people experience big T trauma than we, we would like to admit. But the reality is, is that trauma, uh, whenever we experience it, it causes us, I mean, it's causing pain and we need to figure out a way to deal with that pain. And the primary thing that our body does is it disintegrates the mind. It connects the feelings from the body from what we're experiencing in the mind. And, and that can have long-term ramifications for us. And, and so when, when we see people behave in ways that don't make sense to us, maybe if they're thin-skinned or maybe they're a leader that needs control, you know, whatever it might be, if it's quick for me to, it's easy for me to get critical of them. But when I understand this, rather than get critical, it makes me want to be empathetic because it makes me wonder, what in the world has happened in their life sure. that has caused them to kind of need control or has caused them to be thin-skinned? And how do I meet them in that place that allows me to support them? And then what are the practices that I can engage them to help them 
better integrate their mind. So uh, I've kind of said a lot, so, and we could surely dive into this deeper, but let me stop there and see if any of that resonates with you. Well, yeah, because another, I'm a, I'm a huge word nerd, okay? I, I hear words and I dissect them and I think about the true meaning. You said disintegrate, I go to disintegrate. And what disintegrates? Something just dissolves and disappears. You said, and, and I also am a big, and Charles knows this about me, um, I think, is that I will hear somebody talk and then a word pops into my mind. And the other word that I thought of as you're talking is empathy. And I think if there's ever a time that we need that right now, here we are 28 days or so from probably one of the most significant elections. And I'm not gonna take this into a political discussion at all, other than to say what we're all seeing in the news and what we're all seeing on social media and what we're seeing probably in some of our homes even is this, this um, feeling of, of, you know, we're not the United States of America. I've joked about that. I wrote a blog about that recently, that we're more divided than united. But when I have good moments when I, in my life, especially now, I'm feeling more empathetic for where people are. I, there are people who have very diverse opinions on, on the two political presidential candidates and other issues as well. And rather than, you know, in a bad day, I judge them and say, how can they think that way? How can somebody be a San Francisco Giants fan? Why isn't everybody a Dodger fan like me? I don't understand. But the empathy in me says, okay, I get it. We're a product of where we were raised, how we were raised, who taught us, where we went to church, where we grew up and so forth. So that empathy, I think, is another, another word I'm hearing you say. Charles, this morning, came up. This morning um, um, I have a very uh, distinct memory of a simple story that you can relate to, I believe. And, and, and I, I got up, as you know, early and did a bike ride and I, you know, I went out and kind of did a tree pose. I don't know what that is, but it just helped me feel in sync with the day. I watched the world wake up. So on the way to work, you know, I'm finishing my morning routine, which is really critical to holding, to be a good leader, I have to start the day right. And I'm driving to work and something really typical happens. I'm getting in the freeway on ramp and there's two lanes and the guy in this other lane skips in front of me, but there's like a courtesy we're keeping. And the guy, this other guy swips over and just goes, boom. And he's, he, he hoses like three of us. And so there's that moment at that moment, do I have empathy or am I going to get revenge? Now revenge on the road is very subtle. You know, because there's a lot of things that you can do because sure enough, I go back on the road and there he is again and I'm in the fast lane and all of a sudden he's not going to do it again. He whips in the fast lane again, cuts me off and he knows this time he probably recognizes this car that he cut off twice. Now my head and my body and my instinct, some of my, my fight or flight or whatever that thing is, wants to stay on him a little while wants to stay on him long enough that he knows I'm there. In fact, if I was ahead of him, part of my instinct might want to just tap on my brakes just enough that he knows, but then, still, then speed off and F with him somehow. My point is, is I used to do all that stuff. Today, I saw a very clear choice because I, I thought that guy doesn't even know I'm here. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's a guy. That person doesn't even know I'm here. He's just probably late for work. And wow, did I continue to have a beautiful start to the day and think nothing of it. I didn't do anything toward him, I, but I thought about it. And the fact that I thought about it, I didn't chastise myself. I'm just aware like, wow, I still need to grow because there's a time when I first came to California that could have ended up in a road rage fight. And I'm not proud of that, but 
I've grown a lot from where my mindset was. And when you were talking, um, you know, I use trigger, I use tools to help me. And one of the things that I have to do to shift my mindset from this fear point that can go in all sorts of places is something that's on my board. I don't know if you can see that right there. I'm not going to flip this, but it says always assume positive intent. Mm -hmm. And that means that if somebody is obviously out to get you, unless it truly is a life or death situation, to literally shift it in the way that you receive it, to shift it in your mind that it's not personal, to shift it. In fact, if someone really is out to get you, I allow my brain to assume that everything they're doing is teaching me to great, be a greater leader. And so I can't tell you that it's the right path, but it's so much better than the way I used to hold on to it. And, and having a little bit of empathy and working toward more empathy, I think is a secret weapon. I, I say this when I speak sometimes that, you know, I, I, I used to bench press a lot because I wanted to be strong and I don't bench press a lot anymore, but I empathetically can bench press 500 pounds mm -hmm. because empathy is a muscle. It's like a muscle that grows. There's a lot of people that don't want to do giving in their business because it's not, they don't think they can talk about it. And I'm saying, dude, I get it. No, I never talked about it. Somebody else did. It's empathy is like a muscle. It grows, experience it. And when you have empathy, it makes it safe for people around you. You mentioned that earlier. You know, since the world shifted, I went from really insecure employees to the most secure employees we've ever had. And it's because of those three words that you brought up there early, earlier, vulnerability. We have vulnerability at all the VPs and all of the level of leadership. We actually have a program right now where we're supposed to question everything. And that means that we can't hold on to anything too tight. So we're flexible. And I can't remember the other words that you mentioned, but it's a, it's a place where it does allow for creativity. It does allow for comfort. It does allow for a family feeling, a safe barrier at work, even in uncertain times. Absolutely. So Ryan, we're going to use Charles as a case study right now. Okay. Yeah, so let's do it. Careful what you volunteer for here, Charles, just so those <laughs> who are listening know um, the plan today was interview Ryan. I know Ryan and Charles have a history and a friendship. I sent a text message to Charles today. I said, hey, I'm interviewing Ryan on the podcast today. Light bulb went off. Hey, what do you think about coming on and maybe asking Ryan some questions as well? Because you know Ryan better than I do, Charles. Um, and Charles was like, I'm in. Um, but let's use Charles now as our case study for a moment. You talk about in your book, Success Mindset, you talk about four different mindsets, the growth, the open, the promotion, and the outward mindset. From what you know about our buddy Charles Antis here, using him as our example, and you can take this anywhere you'd like, and it's not meant to necessarily put him under the microscope. And Charles, you don't get to defend yourself. You get to just say thank you. Okay, that's the ground rule. I'm going to mute. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Char well, I didn't know Charles knew where the mute button was. <laughs> that's all the first time I've seen him do it. I love it. So yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about him, and then take it anywhere you'd like on those four. I'd love to talk a little bit about each of those four mindsets, if you don't mind. Yeah, so I I think that probably knowing a little bit about all of our backgrounds is is we all share uh, maybe a, a similar experience that I think is really pivotal. I think each of us can can go back to an experience or multiple that we've had that have been really challenging for us, really trying for us, and one of the benefits of that is in the moment life seemed chaotic life seemed to be falling apart 
And what, what emerged from that, I think probably for all of us, is greater mental maturity. That we could do a better job of sitting with complexity than, than what we had previously. That maybe we saw the world in terms of white and blacks at one point in time, and now we're seeing it in what we feel like is a more full range of color. And we may not have ever been able to get to a higher level of mental maturity had we not gone through, a, you might say, a crisis in, and whatever that might be. And so when I, what I know about Charles is, and as he shares this example about kind of his old self versus his current self, what, what, we, what we all heard was a maturation of one's mind. And that's what happens when we start talking about mindsets. It allows us to do this, perhaps without going through a crisis. That, that if we can uncover and use this perspective of mindsets to uncover our own fears and our own insecurities, what we're doing is it allows ourselves to become more of that ideal person that we want to become. So there's, there's a guy that I follow quite religiously, and I don't follow too many people because it's really easy to follow people and I want to follow the best. Uh, one guy is Robert Quinn, and he, he may be the world's best expert on organizational and personal change. And he says that people change for one of two reasons, either a crisis or deep learning. And, and we could all probably recognize which one most people change from, which is probably the crisis. Yeah. But we all... But, but the component that we are in control over is deep learning. And so when we start to talk about mindsets and it facilitates a deeper learning about ourselves, which allows us to hopefully unlock these fears, insecurities that may be holding us back from becoming more of our ideal selves. So that we are, when we are faced with complexity, we don't run or jump to one side or the other, but we can sit with it and almost enjoy it. And that's what really Charles is talking about to talking about is you don't have to hold on to this is you can just sit with the complexity. Do you find that the leaders that you talk to, I know you've consulted with CVS and Deutsche Bank and others out there in the world and, and um, a lot of companies and I could list them, you know, but we'll, we'll, we'll put that on the show notes for this podcast when we're done today. Do you find that the successful leaders, whether it's Charles or others that you talk to, have changed more because of crisis or more because of deep learning? And I look at me, deep, crisis to me is I touch the stove, it's hot, I've just learned don't touch the stove. My finger just had a little crisis right there and now send it to my brain and I've learned. The deep learning might come over time. Um, I have my opinion, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on really, from the studies and research you've done, do we become better leaders because we've learned from crisis or because of that deep learning? I don't know if that's well, a fair question or if there's a broad brush answer to that, but more your thoughts. I, I think we've all kind of seen and witnessed that not everybody learned from a crisis, right? A, a crisis could lead to a downward spiral. I mean, in fact, I just learned today that um, since the kind of COVID pandemic happened, alcohol sales are up 25%. Now, this, is, this suggests a greater degree of self-medication, self-medicating in a way because of the crisis. Are, are these individuals learning anything from it? No, well, I don't know. I, it's not, not, not the place for me yeah. to say. But I, I think the great leaders, the ones that are truly transformational, is they are somebody that has transformed themselves. 
And I don't think we can be a transformational leader without having transformed ourselves to begin with. And, and part of that transformation process requires, uh, in my mind, the, a, a deeper understanding of who we are, a deeper level of self-awareness. And, and so all of the great leaders that I know that I would consider to be transformational are, are people who have intentionally sought to transform themselves and that they've been they've had these attributes which you you talked about earlier is they were humble right they they were willing to take in the ideas and suggestions of others and consider that they didn't necessarily have the best perspective and they were open to seeing a different perspective they were vulnerable they were open to exposing their fears and their insecurities and then they they as they as they work through their fears and insecurities that allows them to provide service. And so I don't know if Charles, if this would resonate with you because you're somebody who in the community is known for providing service. But I just read a study recently that said that people are unlikely to engage in pro-social behaviors if they feel afraid. So, so if we've got our own fears and insecurities that we're on, and we may not be conscious of this, we're not gonna be very likely to engage in pro-social behaviors. So my guess is that as Charles has even gone through this process of transformation, deeper level of self-awareness, and has worked through and maybe in, at times owned some fears and insecurities, that's actually empowered him to be this, I would say this service leader in the Orange County community. Charles, feel free to unmute, by the way. Permission has been granted. Permission to re-enter the room. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I just have a hard time with this conversation knowing what to say. I have so many triggers and things. Uh, we, you know, we're going through this right now, almost literally, even though I'll explain, you know, with it, um, when the world shifted, uh, our giving, as you know, shifted because the habitat builds were stalled and the meals of love at Ronald McDonald House were stalled and and there were there were new uh, areas of insecurity, food insecurity, blood insecurity. As you know, we've been involved in all, all this and we've been involved in bringing uh, food to frontline heroes. But to your point um, of not getting involved literally because there's fear. Wow, I don't know what I'm, I'm hitting a chord here, sorry. <laughs> thought, wow, what's happening to this Ed show? We're floating. But uh, as we were getting involved this year, um, uh, as I was getting involved, and, and I was scared, I didn't know what to do, but I know to get involved. I know saying yes to anything is better than sitting. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't, I lost my leadership voice. So I said yes to going out with, for example, my friend Wing Lam and bringing uh, Wahoos to these people. And when we did that, it was interesting because in my own team, there was, there was fear. There was, and I'm not, and it's normal. This is the way it's supposed to be. You know, we allow that. Why are you doing that? Why are we doing that? Is there risk involved? Are you putting us at danger? And there's all these questions, but I did notice a lack. It took a few months to get other people to participate and that's okay. And I wasn't overly inviting them, but even now people are so in love with what we're doing in that we're, we're taking care of the frontline heroes, but it's hard for people to get involved. I'm not saying that this is a gateway, but this is a gateway. When you go out and take that vulnerable, vulnerability down and, 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 and hang out with people that are being innovative in the moment, they force you into, you know, hang around Wing Lamb. He, I can't even understand what he's saying, but I trust him 
because he's a good man. And by the way, never is there better a time for us to read this book, Success Mindsets, than right now. Because we, you know, you brought it up in another way. I'll say the political discussion today, we live in a world unlike we've ever seen of inauthenticity. There's more inauthenticity out there than we've ever seen. You want to be held and trusted as an authentic leader, then don't want anything too much and all that other stuff we said yeah. you know this is like this is the time to shift to an open mindset this is a time to shift to a promotional mindset and by the way ryan's bringing this language into my team and there's and ryan would say there's lots of languages there's lots of ways to saying similar things but his language is accessible by my team his language there's an aha moment. That's all we want. When you start talking about studying, we want to get smarter. We're not talking about going back to school with all due respect to college here. We're talking about this emotional intelligence. We're talking about aligning your brains. I don't live my life trying to be smart anymore. I live my life trying to allow my, 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 my new brain, my cognitive brain, the one that I think is smart, I live my life to try to have that brain understand the brain that really drives all of my decision, which is that reptilian brain. And that's, you know, and when Ryan talks, I bet he, he's like, it's like watching an elephant in the zoo or in the parade. He's coming behind me sweeping up because I don't say things crispy and clearly like he does. But that's why I love speaking with him. because I, I get around Ryan and go, Ryan, this is kind of like EQ. Well, yeah, we're sort of like EQ. And he kind of, he kind of analyzes it for me. But the more I can understand why my brain wants to run, why my brain wants to hate, why my brain wants to love, the more I can dig in and understand why that reptilian brain has that impulse, then I am in control by not needing to be in control. And it doesn't make sense what I'm saying. I'll go back and look at this later and go, what was I saying? But we're on to something here. If you can read this book, you're going to trip on something that's going to save you. And it's going to allow you to not only lead better, but sleep better. And I judge all of life. I judge everything in life by how well I sleep at night. If it's working, I sleep well. And this is a working series. And I don't, and I, when I talk about success mindsets, I only bring up those two. I always forget the other two. I just got, I got to admit I'm a hack. Uh, but promotional mindset oh, is changing that, that thing, that thing that we do, that we hang on so tight that I can't imagine if I could have understood this by letting go that I could actually have control. I mean, I, when I think of bad leadership, I think of myself. When you brought Ken Blanchard, and I'm going to stop talking after this, you know, everybody knows Ken Blanchard for that, that one negative boss example he brought up. And that's who we're describing. It's the Siegel boss. He's walking around squacking and shitting all over everyone in the office. And that used to be me. So this is a, this is a easy way out. And Ryan does a great job. Although it's a Wall Street Journal bestseller, it's, it's written for me at a sixth grade level. And I, and I appreciate that, so thanks. So thank you, Charles. And you mentioned something I want to do. Ryan, so we know that there's the left brain and the right brain. We know Charles is very right brain. He's very creative. I don't know if I got the brain hemispheres correct there or not, but he's on the creative side. Put what Charles just said in the language that the more analytical leader can adapt. The smart leader. Yeah. No, I don't mean smart. <laughs> you know what I mean. Because there are leaders, there's a lot of leaders out there that are nothing like Charles. They don't have the enthusiasm. They don't have the, I'm not going to say passion. Passion doesn't always have to show up in storytelling and serving and so forth. Passion can show up in a lot of ways. 
but there are a lot of leaders that are just extremely analytical and they're fantastic leaders. How would you take what Charles just described and define it for that person, that man or woman? Well, I guess for me, what, what is helpful is what Charles brought up and that is putting labels on what we're talking about. So we're, you know, everything we've been talking about underneath the surface resides our mindsets, right? So how the basic idea of mindsets is how we see the world shapes how we think about the world, how we learn in the world and how we behave in the world. And depending upon the quality of our thinking, our learning, our behavior, that shapes our success across our life, work and leadership. So that, that's my book in a nutshell. Yeah. But then the question then becomes is because I think many people think of mindsets as being this kind of fluffy, maybe even ethereal concept is, yeah, we need to have a positive mindset, but what the heck is a positive mindset, right? So many people, one is we agree mindsets are important. Two, we also probably agree that mindsets are something that dictate our thinking, learning, and behavior at a non-conscious level. But if we can put labels on our mindsets, then they become something we could become conscious about and we could become intentional about. And so that's, that's where we've kind of thrown around the language a little bit. So I focus on four different sets of mindsets, not because there isn't you know, that's all of them, but it's because these are the four sets of mindsets. We have 30 plus years of academic research suggesting that they, they do indeed in a reliable way, shape our thinking, learning, and behavior. So the four sets of mindsets are fixed on the negative side, growth on the positive side, and all of these are a continuum. And we're going to fall somewhere along this continuum. There's closed to open prevention to promotion and inward and outward. And when we have these labels and when we understand what they mean, now it's something where we can figure out where do I stand and where do I want to go? Now, how do I get there? How do I make those shifts? And so let me give a, uh, an example of one of these. And I think is, is probably the best example to give, given that we've got Charles here, is for most of my adult life, um, I had what I term as a prevention mindset. So, and, well, I guess it's not my term, but is what is called the prevention mindset, where I was more focused on avoiding losing and avoiding problems than I was on reaching goals and winning. And that's a promotion mindset. And how this played out for me was, I think I actually became an academic because I saw uh, being an academic as having great work-life balance, not too stressful. It's kind of a comfortable life. But, and also I was deathly afraid of debt. So I graduated with my undergraduate degree and my PhD without taking on any debt. And I was deathly afraid of being an entrepreneur because I thought it saw it as being too risky. Why would I ever put my family's well-being on the line for some sort of business success? For some dream of yours, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so this was me and, and it, I was like, I feel like I was kind of in the harbor or we're, we're out there, like the, the water's calm where I'm at. And I, this is great. I want to stay here. The weather's tropical. It's great. I look out past the breakers and there's waves crashing. That's really scary. Why the heck would I ever go out there? was kind of my thinking. But, but what I realized is sitting in the harbor is I'm not going to get anywhere where I want to go. And it was during this kind of epiphany that I was handing that I, I met Charles. And in fact, the first time I met Charles, he hands me a book, and I'll, for those of us watching, those of you watching, I'll hold it up. The Five Minute Journal, which uh, Ed's got in your background, right? And Charles says, "This is going to change your life." And and I'm like, outwardly, I'm very gracious. I love books. This is great, Charles. Thank you so much. 
and he's got one coffee spilled all over it uh, because he can't drink like a human. Um, but uh, but he and, and so that's me outwardly. I'm thinking this is great. Like it's great meeting Charles. Inwardly, I'm thinking there is no way in hell I'm journaling. Like this is not gonna. Who does he think I am? Like I'm not journaling. And so I bring it home, I crack it open, I see, okay, there's three questions to answer in the morning, there's two questions at night. Charles says it's gonna change my life, I'll give it two weeks. And, and if, it's, if it doesn't work, I'll toss it in the trash. So, so I, I, I gave it two weeks. I started every morning answering the questions, what are three things I'm grateful for? What are three things that would make today great? And then I'll fill in an affirmation or two. Then at the end of the day, I answer, what are three amazing things that happened today? And how could I have made today even better? Yeah. And as I did this every day, what this was, and I didn't know it at the time because I didn't know as much about mindsets uh, then as I do now, is what this was doing was activating my promotion mindset neuroconnection. I mean, it was there. It was just dormant. I was just processing everything through that prevention mindset neuroconnection. But as I every day wrote down, how do I make today great? And how do I make tomorrow better? Uh, I've gotten a competition with myself. How do I make today better than yesterday? How do I make this week better than last week? And and what what destination do I even have? And how am I going to get there? And that's over time, just doing this in the course of literally a few weeks, I felt such a significant shift, which into this promotion mindset that I now started to see the world in a different way. And, and I credit that book and really Charles giving it to me is what led me to shift my mindsets. That was the first shift because when we shift our mindsets, then our thinking naturally follows. Then I started thinking, maybe I need to start a business. Maybe I need to write a book. Then my behaviors follow. So as I, as I think these new things, then I actually start up a business. I write a book and then success follows. So as we shift forward our mindsets, our thinking naturally improves, our behavior naturally improves, and so does our success. Um, and so I, I feel like I focus on mindsets partly because I need to, uh, maybe more than anybody, I, I need that work the most. And, and to me, that's been a part of my journey. So the, hopefully that, I mean, that's one of these sets of mindsets, but hopefully it helps bring these ideas. To so what, you're, I, what I heard, I don't know about you, Ed, but what I heard is that I kind of have a Wall Street Journal bestseller. <laughs> there you go. It's, it's my book, the way I heard it. So thank you. Yeah, you bet. Yeah. yeah. Well, Charles gave me the five-minute journal too, and I don't know the timing of when he gave it to you, but a couple of, and I won't even say end results because I'm not at the end of any of it, but what has happened was the courage for me to say, you know, maybe I need to form Heart Leadership Group. My wife and I have done that. We've done events. We're doing some parallel things in family business outside of Orange County literally around the world with Heart Leadership Group now, which the Center for Family Business at Cal State is very focused on our region and the From the Heart podcast. I mean, this is not, I didn't have in my mind I was going to do a podcast. It was, it was the five-minute journal. What would make today great? You know, what, what are things I could do better? Well, you know, today was just another day in routine. Well, I don't want that. So what, I, what I'm hearing you say, Ryan, is that harbor no longer really is safe. You know, staying in that harbor, it represents lack of safety for you almost. And going well, I, that into and across, you realize that safety is on the other side of those waves. 
Well, I, I guess I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that perspective as I still yeah. see that as incredibly yeah, still easy. Yeah. But, but what I've learned is that I've gotten on, out on the ocean is one is it's not as scary as I anticipated it. Mm -hmm. I've also learned that while there are waves and there are ups and downs, that actually makes the journey quite fun. And, but there are storms and there are winds that are, that are resisting this. But now what I have that I didn't have before is one, I have a destination. Destination is more important than my comfort and safety. And what is helpful is I've got a purpose behind me that is driving me to that destination. And so by having those two things, it's almost like I don't even think about how does this affect me personally and my discomfort. I filter it through, is this getting me closer to my destination? And if it is, if it's difficult, who cares? Because I love the metaphor. I love the metaphor to the water because I, I have to say one of my favorite quotes of all time, we're setting this up so well because we, the three of us, want to make history. I'm not saying we want to be famous, but we want to leave our legacy. We want to make it better than we found it. And there's a quote that goes along with this metaphor of out to sea. And it's, it's from an unknown author. And I saw it on the bench right near the world of Coke in Atlanta by the Atlanta Aquarium. And it says this, those who make history make the wake. They don't merely ride the wave nor stand watching idly on the shore. And I think that that's pretty powerful because there is something in that metaphor of pushing out to sea. There's that cur there's courage there. It takes courage. It took courage to do what you did. That's one way to describe it. And, and one way to describe some of the things that you've done, Ed, or where I've had to do at Antis Roofing or got to do at Antis Roofing, it's taken courage. But it's really this, this letting go type of courage that gets us there. It's this letting go and learning how things might be. And you know what I love about Ryan? You give it to me in a tangible way that I can explain it to the logical side of my brain. But there's another side of this that, that it's goofy to talk about, but you see me try. But it's like when you put yourself in this place, you become a lot more tolerant person, a lot less judgmental. And it feels as though bridges are being built everywhere that are almost supernatural. I don't like to get into how to describing supernatural, but you get to feel that kind of goodness when you put yourself in this vulnerable state of being an open leader, of, of, of shifting your mindset to, to trying to, you know, this, you know, there's a goodness in all that you say and everything that you do, there's a goodness policy. I don't know how you address that because I look at life like if it works, you do it. If it doesn't work, you don't do it but there's also seemingly a goodness principle that, that, that infiltrates your mindsets. How is, is there, or is that just my wanting it to be there? So I think if, I think at the root is, is what you're, what you're describing is more of what we kind of talked about previously is, is where we're now maybe seeing the world in greater color before because what we're doing is we've deepened our mental maturity by deepening our self-awareness and and that allows us to to value all of the colors that are out there and then in doing so we, that allows for the creation of connections that would never be there before that's interesting you say that because in my little morning wanderings i literally see more color 
And some mornings when you consciously realize, oh my God, look at that, is that pink? And you start giggling to yourself and you wonder if somebody saw you and then you see that green against that green and against that sky. I don't think there's ever been a sky like that. That's that state of what, it's a wonderment. That's one of the, when I do my five minute journal, when I write what would make the day great and almost every day I'll write something into that I am want to feel this sense of curiosity and wonderment with life. And that is, and, and that is an opening of my mindsets because everything else, there's no color. When I, I love, I love this. I'm sorry, Ed. I'm I'm asking questions and I'm not prepared. No, that's why I brought you on. I wanted you to ask. I, w I wanted us to look into your life a little bit and use a real life case example here. And but I also wanted you to ask questions. I a couple things came to mind as you were giving your quote. Jan Steiner, who's a close friend of mine and a mentor and a big supporter of the podcast, and I know she'll hear this because she listens and really supports our our studio and what we're doing, has formed a company called Make Dust. And her, her analogy is you either make dust or you eat dust. And so she's very much in the, in the, she sold her family business for a lot of money. And I don't know the dollar figure, nor is it important, but she's, she's now taking the fruits of her labors and success and blessing the lives of a lot of people, including the Hart family and the From the Heart podcast and Todd Frazier Studios and everything that we're doing. But that's, that's such an impact and she gets that. And I love when people understand that opportunity that we have to be, to make the wake or to ride the wake. And some of us can choose to let the wake drown us and we're not making it or riding it, we're, we're afraid of it. Let me ask you a question, Ryan. You use the word mindset. I, and again, I go back to my word nerdy thing from, from an hour ago. Um, and I think I know how I would define this, but I'd be more curious to know how you would, the difference between mindset and attitude. We all hear we should have an attitude of gratitude. We need to have a positive attitude. What makes her successful, she has this great attitude. Synonymous or, or not? Well, I, I think our, our mindsets oftentimes will drive our attitudes, but also we can have maybe a negative attitude, but generally carrying around a positive mindset. So what, what helps me is if we were to, we could slice and dice who we are in a million different ways. And if we could stack these up uh, on a range from at the top being very stable attributes about ourselves, at the bottom is very malleable attributes about ourselves. So at the top, we'd have things like, you know, you can even think our height, um, our intelligence is something that is supposedly quite stable. Our personality is generally considered quite stable. At the bottom end are things like, our moods, our attitudes, our emotions. These are things that could change in a matter of minutes. Um, where mindsets fits into this is about halfway down. So mindsets are this semi-malleable aspect about ourselves. They're something that is, is purely nature and not nurture. So these are learned traits about ourselves because literally what they are is there's these, they're wiring in our brain. And it's how our, they, they serve as the circuit board for our brain that controls all of our, our thinking and our processing. And so when, when we see our mindsets as being this mental wiring, literally these neural connections, well, that's different than our emotions. Our emotions often stem out of the, the or our attitude is different than our attitudes. Our attitudes often stem out of the experiences we encounter and how we process that. And it's a manifestation that is connected back into our mindsets. And so when we say you need to change your attitude, well, we can make a quick mental shift. And I think that that's helpful. 
And I think in that moment, that's like a bicep curl for our, our mindsets, which are generally deeper and a more foundational part of, of who we are. So use the mindset help? to shift the attitude is what I'm hearing you say. I think that that's the more effective way to think about it. I think it could go either way, but I think it's more effective if, if we want to change, let's focus on the foundational level and then we'll let those attitudes take care of themselves. So I'm a big sports fan. I alluded to that earlier. And I know we're getting close to the end of our time here. And there's probably going to be a part two to this interview because there's so many more. I haven't even gotten to my notes yet. And like I alluded <laughs> to, I probably, I'm, I've flipped the pages and I'm writing notes and I'm asking you based on what you're saying, which is what a good interviewer actually should do rather than my script. The script is you. I think for my, I worked in professional sports. I'm a big sports fan. And I've always heard said, and I'd love your take on this, either of you, but you know, Ryan, the author, Charles, the guy living it day in and day out as well. The difference between a, a, a good team and a great team is mindset. Um, teams go into the season. I'm going to use my team, the LA Dodgers, big fan. They've won their division eight years in a row. They've never won a world series since 1988 when we were, you were barely born and Charles and I were in our twenties. Okay. Ryan's a little bit younger than we are. If you're not watching, <laughs> you'll figure it out when you do watch. Um, but I think the Dodgers have gone, and maybe the Dodgers will listen to this. I hope they will. Um, I think they have gone into the postseason each of the last few years hoping to not lose. And the difference is they need to go into this knowing they can win. How would you take that analogy, use it in sports, use it in leadership, use it in life, however you want to use that? Yeah, I think you're spot on. So, and in that instance, what you're suggesting is that the Dodgers have more of a prevention mindset, at least in the postseason, as opposed to a promotion mindset. And then it, one part of this is once you recognize it, then you could do something about it. And that's the power of having these labels, right? But you're, you're getting to a broader point, And this is where I, in my consulting work, this is what I focus on is are the, the mindsets of the leaders and the employees, and more particularly the leaders, shapes the culture of the organization. That the, that the things that leaders are afraid of are the things that employees become afraid of. And, and that perpetuates, this fear will perpetuate and create a psychologically unsafe environment. So you look at sport teams, I, the, the, the team that comes to mind is the Washington Redskins who have deplorable leadership from the top down. And, and you know, their, their owners under fire and for a variety of unethical things. And what is going on is the mindsets of the leaders generally shape the culture of the team. And that when we've got these teams that are perpetually bad, I mean, even closer to home, you look at historically the Los Angeles Clippers, and, and you could tie that back to the former owner. And I'm, I'm not even saying the current owner has the best mindsets because you, you could go back to his Microsoft days and see the difference in Microsoft since he's left Microsoft, right? They've, they've quadrupled in their stock price and market capitalization. So, so I think it's really critical that we just, if we want to shift culture, you know, how do you go about doing it? Well, you can go about it a hundred different ways, but the best way in my opinion is to get at the foundation of how people process their world. And that's mindset. So if we get a, if we could just add mindsets to the equation and focus on that, shift that, then I think that unlocks greater success because to your point, and we'll go back to those four desires. Do athletes want to look good, be right, avoid problems and get ahead? They're paid millions of dollars to do yeah. those things. 
So it's really difficult for them to, to, to want to learn and grow, to think optimally, to reach goals and to lift others. And even as I say this is, uh, I, don't, I don't know baseball world as much as I maybe know other sports, but the team that comes to mind is the San Antonio Spurs and what Greg Popovich has done there. Because he creates a, a culture that regardless of how much you get paid, it's all about the team. And it's all about learning and growing, thinking optimally, reaching goals and lifting others. And you see the continued success that comes about by doing that. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about that. I'll, 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 I'll stay on basketball for one more minute and then we'll come off and we'll start to wrap up here. Um, you know, the Lakers, at the time, we're going to air this on Monday, by the way. I hadn't told you that, but coming up this next Monday is when this will actually publish. Uh, likely, the Lakers will have won their 17th championship. They're one, as the time that we record this, they're one win away from winning the NBA Finals. And whether people are watching or not, and that's a whole other conversation. I went into yesterday with my guest, who is a sports business expert, David Carter. But um, I've heard people say, and I know people in the Laker organization, I've talked with guys who have played for the Lakers who say there's something mystical and magical about putting that Laker jersey on. I've heard people who played for the New York Yankees say the same thing. There's something about putting that jersey on that just shifts that mindset to, wow, I'm now associated with a winner. I, and here is a plug for where you and I both work. I'm wearing today my Cal State Fullerton golf shirt. And I wear this F on my chest with pride. There's something about associating with an organization. And let's take it back now to Charles, to your employees, the mindset that has shifted at Antis Roofing, the pride that wasn't maybe there. I, I know what I've seen in the seven months since COVID hit, what I've seen in you as a leader. And what I've seen in some of your team that I know um, and that shift in watching what you're, it's hard for me to bring this up without getting pretty emotional because I feel very emotional about what you're doing. Um, you have shifted so much into promotion, probably more than ever before and into outward, maybe even more than ever before to use the terms from Ryan's book. So please Ryan, correct me if I'm way off here because you're the expert. I'm just, no, some, you're on. Um, that shift that, that I've seen in you and that they've seen in you and probably Ryan has seen makes me emotional. And I think that if I work for Antis Roofing, as an example, and there's a lot of companies out there, but I'm using you as my example because you're on my computer right now. It, it shifts that, it, it's like putting that New York Yankee or that Los Angeles Laker uniform on. I have, I, I have on the back of my phone, you probably can't see it, you, maybe you can. I've got my little, I don't, what do you call this thing that's on the back of my phone that I hold that has an Antis Roofing? Pop socket. Yeah, the pop socket is Antis Roofing. I've got chip clips in my cupboard downstairs that are Antis Roofing. My wife uses a nail file that's Antis Roofing. I feel like I'm putting that uniform on because I'm associated with something great that I'm seeing. So not even a question, just react. Respond to what I just said. Either when, when you guys started, um, when you laid out the when this when you have it when your culture is really all there you have this vulnerability and you have this authenticity and I don't remember the words you said I remember how I felt I was like trying to hold my face because I just wanted to start bawling with gratitude but you know like I said it didn't feel that way when COVID hit when COVID hit you know me I'm out talking I'm on your show I'm on other shows and I'm talking about what's going on and I said everything has to shift and, mm. and some of my people were listening, what does that mean? And everyone was insecure, but they were somewhat insecure. My culture isn't, you know, it's, you know, I, I was grabbing some of my gear. We have these new uh, face masks 
that come out. Nice. And we have, the, you know, the Susan G. Komen. We're also co-branded with the California Love Drop. I mean, I want them to feel that. But the, the key was, you know, being real. The key was showing up and not knowing but being steady. As Ryan said, it trickled down. I kept showing up and being steady. I knew they needed to hear me talk about it because they had to hear, if they're all going to stay, we're going to have to be adaptable. And I've watched my team as we started talking it down, all the VPs and all the managers and everybody's adapted. And now we are all this really proud to wear the brand culture. And it's never been, you know, in, in being a company that's won cultural awards, I got to tell you, there's times that you win it that you don't feel worthy. It, it's not there. Well, please, can we just get there? But right now, today, we're in that zone. They write about it in tribal leadership. You know, they write about that zone. And I forget what they call it, but you can never stay there all the time. You'll get down to the B-plus zone, but you can get it back up there. But right now, I'm in that zone. We are in that zone and it feels so good to put on that brand for everyone that works here and our job security has never been great. And it's because of the way that we put on the day. It's because we're not allowed to want anything too much. We're allowed, we, we are, we've, we've been able to happily through storytelling and through getting to know each other and getting to know each other's assessments, we've been able to break down some of the borders and do what Ryan's talking about. And now we're actually implementing his processes as a new language, as Antis's new language. We've used other languages in the past from DISC to Myers-Briggs, which is slightly different, I know, to the, to the imperative uh, purpose lab. But for us right now, for the functionality and the way it helps us sleep at night, we think success mindsets is a great business and life language for being somewhat self-actualized. And that means a lot of things to a lot of people. But what I mean by self-actualized is to look in the mirror and be excited for what you see in you and for the day. And so, you know, this is not just how you treat other people. It's how you are. It's how you're going to be. If you want to be happy, then shift your mindset, open up, come out and push off to see. I thought you were going to say, if you want to be happy, be happy. You know, it's a choice. I mean, mindset. It is a choice. What I'm hearing in this last hour plus from you, Ryan, and you, Charles, is the living, walking case study this is it is a choice and if nothing else i hope our listeners and viewers today realize that if you want to shift your mindset you got to first choose to like anything if i want to lose weight i got to choose okay what's it going to look like those waves for me are going to the gym and eating better and taking better care of myself for someone else it might be working on their marriage it might be leading their organization out of a difficult time what have you learned, Ryan, in these last six or seven? And there's a lot of places we can still go. And let's definitely have you back soon to, to dive deeper into some of these things. What have you learned in COVID? What have you learned in, I'll just say, we're going to be using forever now, 2020. Yeah. What, did, what did 2020, it doesn't mean what it meant eight months ago. 2020 was vision and, and optimism. And, you know, if I could see with 2020 vision, I'd have more clarity. 2020 has a very different meaning now to all of us and probably always will. What has 2020 taught you that you hope you will take with you long-term? And then I've got a couple more follow-ups and then my last question. Great. So what I, what I feel like I've learned or observed and even felt personally is that when a crisis occurs, 
we're inclined to be like this turtle that pulls our head into our shells. And, and essentially when a crisis occurs, it invites us to take on more of the negative mindsets and to get into self-protection mode. But the only way that we be the person that we want to be and have the impact that we want to have is if we be intentional about keeping our, our head out of our shells, because we're not going to help anybody with our head in our shells. So we got to be really intentional about that. And during a time of crisis, this may come at a short-term cost to us, right? We're literally sticking our neck out when we don't feel safe to do so. And that could be financially, that could be mentally, that could be emotionally, that could be spiritually, whatever it might be. But if we can keep our neck out, even when it's difficult, that may come at a cost to us in the short term, but it's going to benefit others in the short term. And who is this going to benefit in the long term? Both us and others. If we have our neck in our shell, that's going to benefit us in the short term, but it's not going to benefit anybody else, whether it's in the short term or the long term. So we've got to be really intentional about that. And so I'm grateful for examples like Charles Antis, um, like yourself, that are willing to keep their necks out and do something that may be difficult in the short term, costly in the short term, but in a purpose to benefiting others, because then everybody benefits in the long run because of it. Charles, thank you. Charles, I'm going to give you the second to last question. Not a comment. What have you wanted to ask Ryan? What's come up for you in this interview? Maybe something you've been wanting to ask him. And maybe there's nothing, but does any question for Ryan come up for you right now? Well, you know, I always, I always get excited around Ryan and I, I do sort of turn into a little kid, even though I'm older than him, because I'm interested in the clinical side of things. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm always, I, I am always fascinated by the EQ. And I, I brought, last time we were in discussing in our business, there is such a win in life when you can understand, when you start to understand why you were at least one point uh, afraid to speak in front of people. When you, when, when the emotion, when the EQ tells you, because if you would have done that on the planes 10,000 years ago, you would have been a fight to the death right afterwards. And there, when you can, when you can throw this EQ quotient, that sounds kind of crazy if you haven't heard it before, but if you've heard that, and now every social situation, I'll, I allow myself to forgive myself for my, my, my instinct to have bad behavior when I tie it into an animal-like instinct that I would have had to survive on the plains. It's such a fascinating example to me. And so what I always want Ryan to do is to tie that into his formula because I think EQ goes along with it so well. So I've done that in the past. And I'd say that that's just my most fascinating thing, because if you're into EQ, you're going to love success mindsets. I can't tell you exactly all the bridges why, but it's about assessing things as they really are. And in, in the EQ, and I, this is my, one of my EQ stories, the way that I know that people trust me in Habitat for Humanity is they know, like me, that we both believe that everyone deserves a decent place to live. So... Imagine I'm, a I'm traveling on the plains 10,000 years ago and somebody has that feeling about me based on something I'm branded with. Now, Habitat didn't, wasn't around back then, but they knew about me like them that I thought that everybody deserves a decent place to live. Then they want to travel with me to get through the tough territory. If they know because I'm on the board of Ronald McDonald House that like me, they think it is unimaginable to ignore sick children 
then they want to travel with me. But that, that's my point. It's not a cognitive brain function. It's a reptilian brain function. When people trust Antis now, they don't always say it's because we do, we give great roofs. They say because we just feel good when we think about you or something like that. And at first I was bothered by that. Now I realize that means we're being heard. But when I look at success mindsets, I start to see a language toward emotional intelligence. And that's the bridge I want, to see, I want Ryan to complete for me because I don't know how to tie that in when I talk to other people. People, what I'm hearing you, and here I go again, what I'm hearing is what you believe, and I do too, and Ryan, I think you might, is that people want to be safe. People want to know that they're safe, that they have shelter. They want to know that their leader keeps them safe. They want to know their organization keeps them safe. And safety looks different and is defined differently by everyone. But at the end of the day, we just want to be safe. We don't want to be in harm's way. We don't want to get hurt. We want to be protected. And I think what I see in the two of you as great leaders and what I see in other great leaders is I feel protected. I feel uh, this came up on another podcast recently as well that I had an opportunity to do. Um, the individual said, you know, that, that safety comes from that phrase, I've got your back. You know, your, your people, Charles at Antis, your people at the various foundations where you serve, Ryan with you as well, people know that you've got their back. And I think that's, I think that's big. I think that's real big. Yeah, so to, to make the connection there is I think Charles, partly uh, what you're saying is EQ is vital to creating what Ed, you were talking about there is psychological safety and this feeling of safety. Well, then if the question is, what's the connection between mindsets and EQ? How does this help us out? Well, I, I, it's helpful for me when I think about emotional intelligence as my, there's four components, my ability to be in tune with myself and to be able to control myself. And that's the self-awareness component. Then there's the other awareness component, which is my ability to connect with others, see the emotions that's going on with them and to navigate that appropriately. And I think understanding our mindsets and understanding our fears and our insecurities and how they cause us to see the world, that dramatically benefits that self-awareness component of emotional intelligence. But also in do going through that process, and then the indirect benefit is it improves our ability to be aware of others. That we now see others not as, let's just say, being quick to be critical of them, but to be more quick to be empathetic of them. And, and for me, I guess that's, that's the way I could make the connection. And that's the way uh, I felt the value myself is that as I've done the mindset work for myself, that it's deepened my self-awareness, empowered me to be more other aware, which then together as a whole helps me to be more emotionally intelligent, which I think it's, it's something we could always improve in. And I'm surely also a case study in that as well. So this would be a good place to interject a commercial and then come back and start the second half of our conversation. But for the sake <laughs> yeah. of time, I'm going to end it here. Leave them wanting more, they say. Um, and I do. I, I don't know about anybody else listening or watching, but I want a whole lot more. There's so many more places I want to go in this conversation. Some of it will record and Ryan, some of it, I just, I've, I've got ideas and things I want to bounce off of you and book ideas that I'm working on and things that, you know, Charles and I have talked about. And there's just, you know, the next conversation, the three of us will probably be in the next weeks over lunch and maybe it'll trigger something. Who knows? Great. So before I ask my last question, how do people reach you? How do people find your book? Um, do a 30 second commercial, whatever you want to do, just 
sell the book right now? What's the best way to get it or, or your services and anything you want to talk about free form 30 seconds or so? Yeah, no, the best place to reach out to me is my website, ryangotfordson.com. And if you want a really quick introduction to the things we've talked about, as I, I say, invite you to take my personal mindset assessment. It's free. It takes about five to seven minutes. And then I'll help you identify where along each of these four different sets of mindsets you fall and the quality of your mindsets. And they give you a whole bunch of resources on how to improve them. Uh, so that's really quick. You'll also find uh, access to my book there as well as some other, uh, other tools that could be beneficial to you. And then also, if you, I would love to connect with people on LinkedIn. So that would probably be the second best place to go. I'll put those links on the show notes on this when we post it. So thank you. Charles, before I ask the question, you know I'm going to ask Ryan. Any last thing? I'm giving you, Charles, 30 seconds. Okay. <laughs> You're going to laugh. But, you know, any, any last parting thoughts that you have before we wrap? I just really appreciate you, Ed. You do a great job of bringing up critical discussions that need to be heard. And whether I'm on the show or, or, or watching, I always really appreciate that. Again, Success Mindsets has just been an eye-opener for me. And Ryan, meeting you has been magical, just like you, Ed. And so um, I don't really have anything more to say, except I'm in for part two. And, and please, uh, get this book and read it. And oh, on LinkedIn, I'm very active. And I know what I'm about. I'm about making the world a better place because businesses can do it. It's your people. It's the community. And that is why I'm heard in my company and in the community. And thank you, Ed. And thank you, Ryan. Well, and one of the reasons that I opted to bring or asked, invited Charles to be with us today is because of the impact that you've had on me and the impact I know you've had on Ryan. And so, so thank you, Charles. I mean, again, here I go. I'm, I'm going to get emotional, so I'll stop. So Ryan, we've just spent the last hour plus talking about mindset. I'm going to emphasize that word again, mindset. Um, and that opens a whole new can of worms. The name of my podcast not only is a play on my last word of heart, but the name of it is from the heart. So the final question I ask all my guests, and I've asked Charles this question before, and he doesn't get to answer it today, but he will again later, and he did before. Ryan Gottfriedson, what's in your heart? Man, after having this conversation and hearing you kind of preface it with the word kind of mind and set is I feel like the, the way to unlock the positive mindsets is to get in touch with your heart. Um, and that's not an easy thing to do. I think for, for some people and particularly those who have been through trauma um, or have been through pains that make that difficult. But if we can make that journey and dig down into our heart, that's what creates the integration that will allow us to get through the fears and insecurities that we have so that we can be, become more of our ideal selves and have the impact that we want to have.